1: just Sound, welcome to Happy Hour Radio. It is a happy hot summer. Happy Hour Radio on the hot summer right here on 570 KVI. I am your host Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, and uh, your weekend wine guy, and your beach bum. I've been on the beach just hanging out, drinking rosé. Hope you've had a good summer so far. Uh, it's Bite of the Seattle. It's Bite of Seattle weekend right now, and uh, last night was amazing. We got this great weather, and of course uh, Saturday and Sunday. So I hope someone's listening out there. <laughs> if you're not at the Bite of Seattle, you should be home um, tuning into Happy Hour Radio. But we got uh, uh, Jason Wilson is hosting the the chefs. Alley this year, down in uh, Benefiting some the Food Bank And um, he's got a bunch of Wineries and some breweries And cideries, there's so many Great products this year, it's So fun, and if uh, you missed uh, uh, Wine Rocks, Wine Rocks was Last Thursday, and that was Truly, truly fun, with this Great weather in Seattle, we're Having such a good time, Uh, we Had live music, we had uh, lots of lots of wine, uh, ciders and Breweries, and uh, great food down At Bell Harbor, and don't miss Wine Rocks next year, it's Always in July, and it's Always a good time, and coming up, uh, we got a couple events. You'll see me out there with uh, my new wine label, Coral Wines. We've got CoralWines.com. We've got uh, uh, Taking Flight. This is a, an event at the Woodland Park Zoo. It benefits the zoo, and uh, we're pouring wine, and you get a chance to taste a lot of wine. So that's coming up on July 24th. Check it out, woodlandparkzoo.org or Seattle Uncorked. My friend David DeClaire is helping produce that. And of course, looking ahead, we got Sunset at uh, Supper at the Pike Place Market. Sunset Supper. It's uh, August Thirteenth, And uh, that's a don't-miss event. And I can't believe we can't talk August yet because we're right in July. So um, had a great time uh, this past uh, week with uh, my friends from Beaujolais. This is a place in France. They've got great wine. It's much like, uh, well, it's like Pinot Noir, but it's only a little lighter and a little more fruity and and more fresh. This is uh, Gamay Beaujolais, Gamay Noir grape. And I've got a great interview with uh, Charles Rambeau coming up here, part of our In the Vineyard series. So I want you to stick around for that. And uh remember we got a website, a brand new website, happyhourradio.net. And if you're out in the Twitter sphere, give us a tweet, tweet, tweet. It's happyhrradio Radio at hr Radio. And if you like Facebook, come on and check out our Facebook page. It's uh Happy Hour Radio. Real easy. Send us some comments. Um, Give us some ideas on what you'd like to hear about. It'd be really, really fun. So uh, here comes uh, Charles Rambo with uh, Beaujolais.
2: Hi. uh, I'm very happy to be uh, with you today to to talk about Beaujolais wines. Uh, Seattle, as you said, is a beautiful city, and uh, I hope uh, we will have a blast tonight at
1: the dinner. I'm sure we will because I'm really excited because Beaujolais for me is um, the uncharted uh, territory for most of the wine geeks. I mean, we kind of overlook it. And I'll be honest, we do. Um, but really for, for the consumers, um, well, first, let's start talking about Beaujolais. I won't jump into it. I want you to talk. Tell me about the region of Beaujolais.
2: Well, first of all, Beaujolais is uh, the wine region, obviously, uh, located south of Burgundy. Uh, we will well close to, to that wine region. It's a, it's a small area. Uh, it accounts for about uh, 16,000 hectares. Uh, and it's a pretty, to underst- pretty easy to understand wine region compared to, uh, to others, at least, because uh, one, the, it is small. Uh, second, there are only two grape varieties, uh, Gamay for the reds and rosé, and Chardonnay for the whites. Um, and to simplify a little bit uh, we have uh, three categories of uh, wines in Beaujolais it starts with uh, the Beaujolais Appellation uh, the generic regional Beaujolais Appellation um, that produces red white and rosé wines also Beaujolais Nouveau as you may know uh, Beau- then uh, the Beaujolais Village Appellation, that produces also the, the three colors and Beaujolais Nouveau. Uh, and then we have the Ten Cru, from Bruy to Saint-Amour. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, uh,
1: that sounds simple enough. So we have a regional wine, we have a, a village wine, meaning a collection of different uh, wines from villages. And then we have what we call the Cru Beaujolais, which is, is something like. Um, how do we talk about Cru Beaujolais? How do we talk about Cru Beaujolais? Is yeah, it are- a region, a town? Uh, no, it's actually the, the northern
2: part of the of the vineyard. Smaller appellations. Um, it ranges from Bruy to the to the south to uh, Saint amour to the north, and uh, each one has its own uh, characteristics. Because we have um, we have a, a, a big diversity of terroirs in Beaujolais. So you've got uh, lighter wines,
1: lighter cru, uh, to a stronger crus such as uh, moulin vent or Morgon, for instance. <laughs> those are great names. So we'll go over those names in just a moment so we're talking about the region of Beaujolais and Beaujolais is part of the Burgundy Appellation so we've got Chablis we've got the the Cote d'Or we've got the Maconais, Chalonnais and Beaujolais and Beaujolais is the furthest south region of those five? Yeah, absolutely Uh, historically it's part as you said of the great
2: uh, Burgundy Uh, but since we uh, we grow Gamay and we have a a lot of diversity of terroir uh, we like to think that we have uh, our own identity
1: we are a wine region by itself Agreed, and uh, you know, Burgundy is best known for Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, but you also have Chardonnay and uh, Gamay Beaujolais. So let's talk about this grape, um, or Gamay Noir, right? This is what it is, but um, it's grown in, some people grow it in California, but for France, uh, what is this grape like? Is it in terms of style? Is it more like Sangiovese? Is it more like um, Pinot Noir? Is it more like uh, Grenache?
2: Well, in France, it usually produces. Um Wine with a uh, supple tannins, uh, very aromatic. It's a, it's a grape that have uh, a very um, very thin skin. Uh, so ju- usually the wines are, are 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 very supple. This is really the the identity of uh, of the gamma grape and in Beaujolais, we know how to make the most of it uh, because of, uh, of a very specific uh, wine making method that we call semi-carbonic maceration that really
1: enhance the uh, the fruity aromas and so semi semi-carb- se- semi-carbonic r- r- Maceration, maceration right so uh... we call that carbonic maceration yeah. here for and that's known for really providing a, a very bright fruity note um, we we'll call it the pear drop note sometimes a little bit of bubblegum and uh... that means that it intracellularly you're you're fermenting the grapes without oxygen is that correct it is correct absolutely Yeah. I, uh Indeed, the, the, um, the grapes are whole. Uh,
2: we, we put whole bunches of them uh, in the vat, and uh, under their own weight, uh, they crushes the berries, which release um, dioxide uh, of carbon, ca- carbon dioxide, sorry, uh, and it leads to, uh, to semi carbonic uh, maceration, which develops uh, specific aromas, uh, fruity aromas, uh,
1: notably and also uh, lower acidity levels. So what's fascinating for me is that uh, the Beaujolais wine, although most known for the Nouveau Beaujolais, which was part of the third Thursday in November, I believe, the release, and, and it was about young fresh wine because no one wanted to wait, really. Um, and it's been sort of identified as the Turkey wine, but Beaujolais is so much more than that because you've got the Cru wines and the Village wines, and it's, it's so complex. Tell me about the, um, the winemaking history of Beaujolais.
2: Well, uh, Beaujolais is a region that is uh, well-known for, uh, for Beaujolais Nouveau, so sometimes people do the uh, amalgam uh, between Beaujolais Nouveau and other kinds of Beaujolais. Uh, it's been really successful, in uh, especially in the 80s and the 90s, and uh, now we're trying to regulate the production of, of Beaujolais Nouveau because we, we want people to um, to discover something else, you know, so we are really focusing on what we call vin de garde, which is... Um, Van de uh, Garde wine you can save Uh, actually wines you you, you can drink all year long I see van is wine to guard something you can protect yeah absolutely and uh, that means um, that that you can drink uh, this wine later on actually uh, people don't really know that but uh, Beaujolais, Beaujolais wines have
1: a very good aging potential I agree. I've had many uh, older Beaujolais, and I think the, the, um, the uh, Fleuries and the Moulin Avants, right? They age well. And um, when it comes to uh, most of the wines we know here in uh, Seattle and around Puget Sound, of course, America, we, we hear the name, we see the name George Dubuff. Tell me about that producer. Well, Georges Duboff has done so much for the region.
2: Uh, He's a big producer of Beaujolais wines, very successful, renowned worldwide. Um, I think he's about... um in his mid 80s, right now, uh, he's still he's still walking a lot. He gets up early in the morning. He, he tastes about uh, about 200 wines a day, uh, sometimes more during the Beaujolais Nouveau period. So uh, really, um, really successful, really active, uh, proficient for for Beaujolais wines. is is um, overall a very good ambassador worldwide.
1: I agree. Uh, he's uh, ubiquitous in, in the terms of the wines of Beaujolais. How many producers are there totally, and how many sort of acres? Or, or hectares are we talking about for this petite region?
2: Well, as I said earlier, there are 16,000 hectares in Beaujolais, uh, and we have about, about 2,500 producers total, including the negociant.
1: And from a worldwide perspective, you, you know, I know that Americans kind of knows Beaujolais Nouveau, but it, is Beaujolais recognized around the world for some of the crews, or, or what is the uh, identity for Beaujolais globally? Well, it really depends on the, on the market. You know, each market has its own specificity
2: If, uh, if I take the u s for instance, uh, they are really fond of uh, of the Beaujolais Village appellation. Not not in the the Nouveau side, the Beaujolais Village de Garde, I would say. Uh, If you take the UK, for instance, it's a cru market, definitely. While in Japan, it's a Beaujolais Nouveau market. So it really depends on the perception of Nouveau uh, in in each market, in each country.
1: In terms of uh, France's total production of wine, of course, we have the Bordeaux and the Languedoc Roussillon, and then we've got... Burgundy and Alsace and Champagne, of course. Um, where does Beaujolais fit in in uh, the gross amount of wine produced? Well, since we are a, a pretty small wine region in France, uh, it
2: doesn't account for, for for so much. We are talking about uh, 8, uh, 800,000 hectoliters a year uh, on average. So uh, it would be uh, the production of a small region such as uh, such
1: as Alsace, I would say. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Well, it's it's such a fascinating um, history with Beaujolais, and to to know that the wines are now getting getting more excitement and more interest in the United States and, of course, globally. Tell us about some of the foods because when we think of red wines, um, what, that's one of the pairings everyone thinks it's it's Cabernet and roast beef. Um, what do we drink with Beaujolais? Well, Beaujolais is naturally food friendly. Uh,
2: you've got natural pairings such as. Um, um barbecue food or charcuterie or even cheese um we are trying to go beyond that at the moment because we do believe in the gamma grape uh, as a as really food friendly um, because it produces wine with a supple tannins uh, very aromatic and fruity uh, with with a natural acidity it's really important because the acidity is the backbone of wine and it uh that also uh, useful for aging right uh so we are trying to um to see beyond the natural pairings, that's what I want to say. Uh, that's why in, uh, in San Francisco, we were there yesterday, we, we paired Beaujolais wines with, uh, with, uh, with Japanese cuisine. Uh, today here in Seattle, we're going to pair Beaujolais wines with, uh, with a salmon fish. Uh, so this is, this is really exciting because we do believe in that and we have very good feedbacks. Uh, about about the food friendliness, the versatility of Beaujolais wines from the press, but also from the consumers.
1: Well, I'm excited to taste that because you're right. Because if we pair Beaujolais with just another piece of chicken or duck, I'm sure it pairs well, but you have to sort of break the mold and, and sort of, because people think of duck, they think of something else other than Beaujolais. So this will be quite exciting. And I realized I said, what do we drink with Beaujolais? Well, we drink more Beaujolais with Beaujolais. So Beaujolais as a food pairing wine is very exciting, especially here in the Northwest, because we have uh, quite, uh, I should say the West Coast, there's quite a culture of all sorts of foods. We have uh, um, obviously foods from Mexico, foods from the Pacific Northwest, uh, foods from, fr- from French regions and, well, I don't know where it's French. <laughs> it's Canada, perhaps. Um, but I should say that the Chinese and the Japanese, a bunch of Asian influence. This is really the Pacific Rim. Has, has Beaujolais done well in the Pacific Rim with Japan and China and Singapore and things like that? Yeah, we're actually uh,
2: investing uh, some um, some promotional budget on, uh, on such markets. Japan is actually our first market. It is the first market for Beaujolais wines, uh, mainly Beaujolais Nouveau. It accounts for about ninety percent of the total volume of Beaujolais wines. Um, we are also working in China, in Hong Kong, and uh, we did uh, we did some uh, some actions in uh, in Singapore uh, in the past few years. Yeah,
1: very exciting. Well, um, when we come back from this break, we're going to talk more about uh, Beaujolais with Charles Rambo, who is the export manager for Inner Beaujolais, and uh, I'm here down at Aqua Restaurant on this beautiful summer sunny day, about to enjoy. Um, well. Hopefully lots of Beaujolais and some rosé. So stick around. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio.
0: The Commute with Carlson, weekdays 6 to 9 a.m. on Talk Radio 570 KVI. You're in the know with KVI One and O Weekends. Here's more
1: Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. This is part of our In the Vineyard series, and uh, I'm here at Aqua Restaurant in downtown Seattle, the waterfront, a beautiful sunny day, having the pleasure of speaking with uh, export manager uh, Charles Rambeau, who works for Inter Beaujolais. They're in town hosting a beautiful wine dinner. And uh, um, speaking with Charles, we just chatted about, of course, uh, the Beaujolais region, the Beaujolais grapes and food pairings. But now, you know, the highest level of Beaujolais is, is... typically uh, renowned as the crew the crew level and there are 10 crews 10 different sub appellations in the region and each has its own unique name and, and own terroir and if i can remember this is bruy cote de bruy chenas cherubal fleury Morgon, uh, morgan Moulinavant, regnier Saint and julianas so those are the 10 crews as i remember and uh, i want charles to start speaking about um, some of the unique characteristics about those areas yeah, so uh, if we want uh, to, to know
2: about all ten of them, uh, we should get started. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go from south to, to north, if that's, if that's okay. We can start with the Brouilly appellation. Uh, Brouilly is an appellation that surrounds the, uh, the Mont Brouilly. It's actually the largest in Beaujolais. So the mountain of Brouilly, right? Yeah. The Mont yeah, Brouilly. The Brouilly, <laughs> absolutely. It's the largest in Beaujolais. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty food-driven wine.
1: Wait, uh, is Mount
2: Brouilly a volcano? It's an ancient volcano, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, cool. We got those here in the northwest. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, the Brouilly appellation is the largest. It's really fruit-driven. It's a fragrant and elegant wine. Um, in the middle of the Brouilly appellation, you've got Côte de Brouilly. Côte de Brouilly is on the is located on the slopes of the of the Mount Brouilly, this ancient volcano, and traditionally, it produces more um, robust wines. Uh, that are that are elegant and um, with a bit more aging potential than uh, than
1: boye wines. So in the north or in the south region right now is how big is the temperature difference between the north and the south? Is it we're talking uh, the the hot the heat of the temperature or is it more of the the cold of the temperature that is unique? No,
2: the Cruera from south to north is uh, e, e, is no more than twenty kilometers. So uh, so the um, the um... so that's like thirteen fourteen miles. Yeah. Something like that. So, uh, so there is no 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 ecart de température, no no changes, <laughs> no in temperatures. I got
1: <laughs> Fourteen miles. Yeah, not a lot of shit difference yeah. there. Okay. So we are now um, the region of Bruy and it's surrounded by the Cote de Bruy, which means the slope, right? No, the Cote de Bruy is surrounded by the uh, the Brouilly Appellation. Ah, okay, great. Now we got it. The Cote de Bruy is located on the slopes of the of the Mount Bruyé. Yeah. And we're talking about volcanic rock, so this is basaltic rock, or, you know, it's interesting because in our sommelier studies and tastings, we we talk about granite.
2: Yeah, uh, the soils in Beaujolais are mostly granitic, and we've known that for for a while, but it's actually interesting that you mentioned that because uh, we have been conducting a study for the past few years. Uh, we've been funding it. Um, we uh, requested from uh, from specialists to to dig holes in the vineyards to 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 better know our soils. So they have been studying uh, Beaujolais soils for for a while now, and we just got the results of this studies. And even if we've got a lot of granitic soils, uh, we discover that there is much more to that. And the point of this study is uh, for winemakers to know
1: better that soils and obviously produce better wines. We've done a lot of soil studies here in uh, Washington, of course, we all have that volcanic activity. But granitic uh, is one of the things that comes out of volcanoes. It's really kind of a lava form for the most part. So in many ways, it's all from lava, I guess. Is that's how uh, the region was started. So Bruy is, is actually the largest region, right? In uh, The largest crew in Beaujolais? Yeah. Great, so we're in the south. We have the Côte de Bruy, which is in the center on the mountain of Bruy. We have the Bruy area, which surrounds it. And what's next? Uh, we can move forward to the Rény Appellation. Uh, Rény is actually the, the youngest of
2: the crew. Uh, while all others got the agreement in the in the mid-30s, also uh Renier actually got the agreement in uh, 1988 so uh, this is uh, this is pretty young it used to be um, part of the Beaujolais village appellation yeah and uh, in terms of uh, of the wine itself it produces uh, floral wines that, that are with uh, with supple tenants uh really fruit forward um actually uh, You can see that, but we're tasting a a,
1: a rainier right now. Oh, cool. I've got this beautiful uh, light. um, It's a light ruby color, mostly garnet, I would say, and uh, it's very translucent. Um, Moderate weight, viscosity on the wine, but uh, tell me what you taste here. Oh, it smells fantastic. This is really a potpourri of flowers and, and red fruits, red raspberries and red cherries. Definitely, it's, it's, it's really typical for Renier because I, as I said, Renier is usually
2: pretty um, light-oriented. Um, but Charlie Tiffany decided to do something more powerful to its wine. It's an organic producer. it is is working very well. And, um, without, uh, without losing the, um, uh, the fruitiness of the deliciousness of, of Gamay, he, uh, he managed to, to produce a uh, wine
1: with a, a very good structure that, uh, that it can as well. Uh, I'm really fascinated and impressed with this wine, and I, I'm sure you hear that a lot on Happy Hour Radio. Um, but the balance of the wine—it's really elegant wine. It has the structure, um, the tannin is firm but very, very soft. It's very, very gentil and uh, the fruit profile on the nose and the, on the palate is uh, distinctively ripe, juicy, um, but delicate. Absolutely. So, uh, this is a régnier and how did they get these names? Where did Reigné, is that the town, is it the village? Yeah, m- most of the 10 crews are named after the, the
2: after a village. Uh, régnier for instance, is named after the village regnier durette Yeah, um, the only ones that are not named after a village are Brouilly, Côte de Brouilly, and moulin because that's a mountain. And Moulin-Avant
1: is a windmill? Yeah, absolutely. It's named after a windmill, a serial windmill from the 15th century. All right, the Moulin Rouge and the Moulin-Avant. Oh, so as we travel uh, north in the uh, area of Beaujolais, we've talked about Brouy, Côte de and now uh, Um What's next? Well, Morgon. Morgon is, um, is,
2: uh, is pretty famous around the world. The, the, this might be the the most famous of the crues. Um, it produces uh, dense and very well-structured wines uh, that have a very good aging potential. Actually, it's one of the appellations that,
1: uh, that get the, the, one of the best aging potential. Yeah. Mm, well, I'm excited to taste that tonight. I hope we have some more gone for dinner. And uh, am I correct in recollecting that uh, there is a Cote de Pie? A Cote de Pie, is that in the, that's a specific vineyard? Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. In each of the Cru, you've got what we call lieux dit Hamlet, Right,
2: um, and they are like a parcel of vines uh, with a very specific terroir. So, in uh, in Morgon, you've got Cote du Pie, You mentioned it. You also uh, have uh, other lieux such as uh, Javerniere or uh, Corselette
1: for instance. Um, and when you say a hamlet, you're talking, I know, Ludi, uh, for all who don't speak French, um, it basically means a named place. So they take the little little selection of, of vines and vineyards and name that specifically for its unique characteristic. So how how large is this area? Uh, cote du Pie
2: morgon is about, I think, uh, about 800,
1: uh, 800 hectares. So, oh, that's a good size. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And Morgon is known for, for aging potential?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the press praises Morgon about that. Uh, you've got some great producers such as uh, uh, Mathieu Lapierre, such as Jean Foyard, uh, Descombes, that uh, that are um, very famous around the world. That produces wine that you can keep in your cellar for for, for a long time. I actually tasted uh, a, a 67 Morgon from uh, from Jean-Marc Burgo lately, and it showed very well. Still a lot of freshness, the acidity was there still,
1: it's, it was really wonderful Yeah, That's remarkable, that's coming up on 50, 60 years now that's amazing, that's kind of like my age <laughs> When it comes to uh, vintages around the world of course we always know Bordeaux and Champagne and Burgundy etc, uh, but tell us about what makes a great vintage in Beaujolais and what um, what are the most recent great vintages
2: Well, um, we, had a, we had what we call the, the three glorious vintages lately in Beaujolais it was 09, 10, and 11 with uh, very good uh, climatic conditions, which means um, a very, very sunny spring, uh, a warm summer, and uh, a bit, a bit of rain right, uh, right, uh, right before the, the harvest. So it produces wine that are um, that are very, very good and with good aging potential. If I take uh, 09, for instance, it's. it's for us, it's one of the best vintages for uh, the
1: last half century. That's unique because 09 was great. It was very, very warm in Bordeaux and Burgundy and, of course, in Beaujolais. Yeah, it's a very specific vintage, so we got a lot of structure
2: to the wine. Uh, it produces very uh, it produces very intense wine, uh,
1: concentrated with a very, very good aging potential. Excellent. So 09 is a great, one of the three glorious, so what were the three glorious vintages again? 09, 10 and 11. Wow. Th- three, in three in a row. Okay. <laughs> And so Vintage, uh, they'll harvest in, in 2015, they'll harvest typically in September, August, or when? For this year, uh, it, well, we
2: just get out of the flowering uh, period, which was uh, actually very short this year. It was about three to four days only. Uh, sometimes it takes uh, as much time as uh, as two weeks. Uh, because we have uh, we had very uh, very good condition, dry and sunny. Uh, so it happened uh, very well this year. And uh, we're expecting, even if it's a bit early to say it,
1: um, a harvest beginning at the beginning of September. Excellent. Well, so um, if people want to learn more about uh, Gamay Noir, Chardonnay, and the wines of Beaujolais, do you have a website or someplace we can go to find more information? Absolutely. You've got www.beaujolais.com. Uh, for the French website, and we also have a, a, a specific US website called discoverbeaujolais.com. Discoverbeaujolais.com. Or if you want to speak French, practice French, go to beaujolais.com. Com. Well, Charles Rambo, this has been a fantastic opportunity to learn more about Beaujolais. I'm so excited to try these wines with dinner, and thank you so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you very much, Chris. Hey, that was Charles Rambo, and uh, I invite you to grab another glass of something great, and stick around. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio.
0: Lars Larson has the real story, weekdays 6 to 9 p.m., only on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Talk Radio 570 KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now, back to Happy Hour Radio with
1: Christopher Chan. Hey, that is me, your host of Happy Hour Radio, and welcome back. It is Happy Hour, and I'm here with Doug McRae of Salita Wines, the man behind the McRae Cellars label, and now off on his own venture, SalidaWine.com. Check it out. So, Doug, tell me more
3: about Salita Wine. Well, I think one of the important things to express is that if you consider Spain uh, – Truly, the three primary red grapes are Tempranillo, uh, Garnacha, or Grenache, and the grape, uh, the Spanish call Manastral, which the French call Mouvedre, and of course, it also goes by a third name, which is Mataro. Mataro, right, from Australia. Well, not exactly. No? Any more than Shiraz, <laughs> <Sirach> from Australia. Shrez. <laughs> well, so we've what, got what three So what happened grapes. is I, I, I had been working for quite a long time, obviously, with, you know, with Grenache, and then, uh, with Jim Holmes, uh, planting, uh, at Ciel du Cheval on Red Mountain, we began making Mourvedre, We'll call it that. Um, so I've had a, a lot of years, uh, working with those varietals. And then, of course, in 2006, uh, the Tempranillo dropped in my lap. So that completed the triangle of, you know, the three, the three power grapes, so to speak, uh, of, of that nation.
1: Was the 06 Tempranillo some of the oldest? Because it's real, very new grape. I know that my family's growing Tempranillo in Walla Walla.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, as well as Morvedra and Grenache, for heaven's sakes. How about that? That's really cool. <laughs> cool for me. Cool
3: for you. Yeah. Um, 2006, where was that Tempranillo from? A vineyard called Two Coyote, which oh, is yeah. located uh, sort of northwest of Zilla.
1: And that's uh, uh, Mike Andrews, right? Is he part of that no, Coyote he's, Canyon? He's, no, that's Coyote Canyon, yeah, okay. exactly. Coyote. Um,
3: there's another little wine up right there by the name of Knight's Hill. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. So that's that's it and actually uh when I first started uh this is what is known as clone 1 the tempranillo correct okay now if you go down uh to Abacella Winery in Oregon um, he has about 7 or 10 clones or something to that and effect in the ground Earl Earl Jones, Earl Jones exactly yeah. um here in Washington are you know we plant based on what we're allowed to plant because of you know issues with Um, bugs, you know, various viruses and things of that sort. So predominantly in Washington, there have only really been two clones available, clone one and clone two. (laughs) There is a third one, the the Toro clone. Um, because From the
1: actual region of Spain? Yeah, Tinto de Toro. Uh
3: Um, Because of various things that happened at the nursery, uh, the Toro clone has never really gotten off the ground, although there is some. Um, Ironically, the clone one also never really... uh, has been disseminated that greatly. It's now becoming a little bit better. So the clone two is the predominant one, and that's the one where you know you would typically see relatively large clusters, the very kind of pointed versions. Right. However, the clone one would probably remind you more of looking at a Merlot cluster. Relatively small, medium to small berries. Again, it's all about how you grow the grapes. Mm-hmm. Tends to be a very tight wine on the whole. And I'm learning it. You know, it's like anything else when you make wine. You have to have several years to really determine, you know, how are you going to get the results you want to get and balance out what you like to do with, you know, what's acceptable and, uh, you know, by the public and all the rest of the things that come with it. So over these years that we've been doing this now for about the past eight years, it's expanded out into about uh, five or six reds and uh, two whites.
1: It's really exciting, and I know that uh, Tempranillo is a fascinating grape, especially with all the uh, styles in Spain. And they've been doing it for a yeah. hundred plus years, or even more than that, of course. Um, and I'm really excited. I, I I need to have you back. Um, will you come back next week and chat more about these grapes? And I'd like to dive into your wines then. Is that cool? That'd be fine. I would love that. And uh, speaking with Doug McRae, uh, his wine, uh, new label is called Salida Wine, S-A-L-I-D-A Wine.com. Salida com. Check it out online. Um, we have, uh, uh, tell me the wines
3: we've got. An Albarino to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Albarino, Tempranillo, and uh, a blended wine that I make, uh, which is, it's a blend of Malbec and Tempranillo. Uh, that I named Fuego Sagrada by sort of um, hanging around very late at night on the web. (laughs) This is fun. You're a kick. Uh, So good to see
1: you, and I will look forward to uh, diving into these wines and checking back with you next week. So, Doug McRae, thanks for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you, Chris. And Wes Henderson of angelsenvy.com, you make some great bourbon. I want to welcome you to Happy Hour Radio.
4: And it's great to be here, Chris. Thank you.
1: Hey, so you're in Louisville, Kentucky right now?
4: That's correct. The nice, uh, hot and humid, sunny, muggy Ohio River Valley, that's where I sit right now. I'd love to be out your way, though.
1: <laughs> We've got a little bit of overcast. Uh, well, actually, it's sunny skies on this beautiful Saturday here on Happy Hour Radio. Well, I'm really excited about Angel's Envy. I've had the pleasure of tasting uh, your fine whiskey about two years ago when I think it just came out. Is that true? When? Tell me about Angel's Envy.
4: We launched nationwide well, nationwide we launched about four years ago and we came to to your neck of the woods about two years ago so we, we've only been around for a few years i mean the project started about eight or nine years ago but you know to launch it was just four years so in four years we've covered a lot of ground right now i think we're one of the fastest growing small batch bourbons in the country and certainly one of the highest rated uh thankfully one of the highest rated bourbons in the country right now
1: yeah, it's amazing stuff. And what got you into the dis- distillation business?
4: It goes back probably to as, as early as I could walk. My father was a master distiller for Brown Foreman for 40 years, and they had created Woodford Reserve, Gentleman Jack, and Jack Daniel Single Barrel and was in charge of all their whiskeys worldwide for a real long time. So my earliest memories are actually going to work with my father and the aromas of fermenting mash. Those are some of the first childhood aromas I remember.
1: Wow, and they say smell is the most powerful memory we have.
4: It is. You know, people talk about grandma's apple pie and and all those things, but truly what I remember and every time I walk into a, a room where fermentation is happening, it takes me back to when I was little and same way walking into a lab. I mean, I go to work with my father in the lab and you know, I'm sure the, the other lab people hate me to this day because I go on and monkey around with the lab equipment, and, <laughs> you know, do do crazy stuff. So it's 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 in my blood. It's been we've been doing it for a long time.
1: Interesting. My parents are physicians, so I got to play doctor uh, early on uh, at the hospital myself. Um, but so you you had some tutelage, you had some lineage, you got some chops. Uh, you launched Angels Envy. How'd you come up with that particular name? <laughs>
4: Angels, so the name Angel's Envy is based on the phrase the angel's share. So you're probably well aware of that, but just to quickly tell the listeners, is when you know, we put bourbon in a barrel, you lose about 3 to 5% a year to evaporation. And we call that the angel's share. We're sharing that with the angels. So the premise is that they get their share, what they don't get they're envious of.
1: Ha ha ha. Got it. All right. Well, I'm pretty in because I got two glasses of this beautifully colored whiskey. Uh, So for all of our fans out there on Happy Hour Radio, let's talk about bourbon. Bourbon is by law 51% corn and aged in new American oak uncharred or wait. Yeah, new American white oak, right? For one year minimum, two years for straight?
4: Well, there's no minimum aging to call it bourbon. Uh, Really, once you put it in that, that new charred oak barrel, it's considered bourbon. But if you if you want the straight designation, you have to have it in there for two years. If you want to bottle it without an age statement, it has to be in there for at least four years.
1: You've got three whiskeys, correct? You've got a cask-finished... Well, tell me what
4: you've got. <laughs> we have three three products now. We have our, our port-finished bourbon, which will be the first one we'll taste this morning. And then we have a cask-strength version of our port-finished bourbon, which we can talk about a little later on the segment if you'd like. Paul Picoult got the number one spirit in the world last year. and And then we have a Rye whiskey, which is finished in Caribbean rum casks, which takes on a an amazing life. And we can talk about that when you taste that as well. So right now we have three.
1: Let's talk about this uh, this first one I have, the bourbon.
4: You know, on the nose, and, and I think first and foremost, when people see a bourbon finished in port casks or anything that's related to port, the first instinct is that it's going to be very sweet. And, and And it's not the case with Angel's Envy. What we set out to do was we set out to create a bourbon that had... Some uh, some characteristics of that port finish, some subtle nuances from the port finish. So, first and foremost, you're going to taste this like a bourbon, you know. And on the nose, you're going to get those wonderful notes from a bourbon. You're going to get those caramels. You're going to get a little bit of woodiness, a little bit of smokiness. You're going to get, uh, I get, I get banana on Angel's Envy. Uh, some vanillance, definitely some some vanilla. So on the nose, you're going to achieve those notes that you would typically see in a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. One thing you'll pick up that you don't normally see in, in bourbons or whiskeys would be that some dried fruits from the pork barrel finish. So you might pick some of those up on the nose, but where that's really going to come into play is when you taste it. So, we wanted a bourbon that had a slight influence from the port barrel finish, not a bourbon that tasted like port. And I think you'll understand what I'm talking about, you know, especially your listeners when they when they taste it for the first
1: time. Yes, it's uh, it first of all, it is it has a good weight to this whiskey. This whiskey has a good weight. It's uh, a moderate plus weight. Um, it has just a little bit of wood tannin. But I'm curious, so is it a, a tawny port or is it a ruby port that you've added to for the finish?
4: It's a ruby port, uh, ruby port barrels that we're using. Um, and it's a, uh, you know, so that's really that's where the dried fruit comes into play. You're not gonna, like you said, you're not getting a lot of tannin. You're getting, uh, and 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 it's a relatively young bourbon. It's a four to six year old blend, relatively young in terms of age. Now we don't talk about ages as, as much as we do as maturity. But what that pork barrel finish does is that really elevates the taste profile to where you know the mouthfeel and the flavor and the texture almost seems like you're tasting a bourbon that's more like, you know, six or eight years old.
1: Well, it's delicious. And uh, when we come back from this break, uh, I want all of our listeners to jump on to angelsenvy.com and uh, investigate these, Well, you know, what the angels are envious of. It's a fantastic bourbon. I'm speaking with Wes Henderson, and you're the global brand ambassador for Angels Envy. When we come back, Wes, I want to dive into this rye here on Happy Hour
3: Radio. Hi, I'm Bruce Milligan with Tequila Celestial, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan on 570 KVI.
0: A look at the world from a Northwest perspective. Lars Larson, live, weekdays, noon to 3. Talk Radio 570 KVI, want and know weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan.
1: Hey, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I am in heaven with Angel's Envy. I've got Wes Anderson, the uh, Global Brand Ambassador and Chief Innovation Officer. Wes, uh, glad you're on Happy Hour. We've just enjoyed a taste of your port-finished bourbon. I wish we had some of that cast strength, but it's so popular, apparently it's sold out across the country. Is that right?
4: That's correct. (laughs) It, It sold out generally within 48 hours after it was released stories of people following the the delivery trucks to the liquor store to get uh, to get it so it was a it's almost a, a kind of become a cult you know class. you know not really a classic but a cult favorite right away which we'll be releasing that again uh over the christmas holidays in september or october so you know for for those that might be interested that now's a good time to start you know, planning the logistics on how you're going to, <laughs> what tactics you're
1: going to use. How to track to, a truck, to, is that to, it? To cast strength. Oh, too funny. Well, I'm going to befriend your whiskey guardian, George Engelstad here, who's one of the, the cool bartenders up here in the Seattle market, uh, and make sure we get our uh, little order in early. If we're been a, naughty or nice, I don't know, we'll figure that out later. But uh, tell me about this rye whiskey. You've got a uh, an amazing idea here. This is innovation, rum cask rye.
4: Yeah, it, the rye has really become a, a, another phenomenon for us. It, it's doing real. It's doing phenomenally well in the marketplace. And the, the premise was we wanted to release a rye whiskey, but we wanted to be different, like we have with everything else. And the way the process evolved was, is we you know we know that rye is typically a spicy distillate, so rye whiskey has those, those really spicy notes, and and we thought it might be interesting to marry those spicy notes of the rye with the sweet notes from a rum barrel finish so i literally sought out 150 different rums until i found the one that that i liked the best and felt would complement the rye whiskey the best and we decided to to finish the rye in those rum casks for 18 months so it's it's a seven-year-old rye whiskey 95 percent rye mash bill and then an additional 18 months in the rum cask, and and the rum casks from plantation rum. It's very interesting how the, the lineage of those rum barrels. They started out as cognac Ferran barrels.
1: And That's Barbados, and they, right?
4: Yeah, I'm sorry.
1: Is that Barbados or Martinique?
4: Well, the the uh, the plantation XO 20th anniversary is a Barbados yeah, rum. Yeah,
1: I that's remember. Correct. You uh-huh. nailed it.
4: And it, it just worked. You know, the danger of doing that was it could have been a mishmash of flavors. Right. You know, it could have everything could have canceled out. But, what we did is we were able to get it to dance between the sweetness and the spiciness, and we released it at a hundred proof, which most people would never know if I hadn't have told you that because it's so smooth so at a hundred proof and I think that was a nod to to the bartenders and the mixologists like George there um, We know that rye is used a lot in a lot of cocktail creations, and we wanted to kind of pay homage to to those people creating those cocktails, so we gave them a little sturdier, a little higher proof distillate to work with.
1: Well, it's amazing. I just had a sip, and the spiciness of the rye is truly balanced by the sweet Caribbean flavors of the, the, the trop. It's, it's a little coconutty, um, just a touch of cognac. There's there's a little French oak. Um, it's an amazing product, and that is truly innovative. Uh, congratulations on this tasty stuff. What does this stuff retail for? I know Washington State is so... we're like ant we're uh, we got so many syntaxes up here we should be the new vegas well
4: you guys need to stop spending so much you don't have to worry (laughs) about it right well Uh, yeah no look it uh our bourbon our port finished bourbon uh, comes in generally in the mid 40 uh, 40 price range let's say 45 to 49 our rye whiskey our when the rum barrel finish is anywhere from usually 75 to 85 dollars you know for 750 our cash strength the one that Paul Picoult named the number one spirit in the world retails for i think 159 and it comes in a really nice wood gift box. It's, it's 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 a great gift for the holidays.
1: Well, it's a good gift for any time, really, for birthday, uh, anniversary. Uh, the stuff is fantastic. Congratulations on truly some world class whiskey. Um, I, I haven't had it in a while, and I'm so glad that George is here to pour some samples for me. Wes Henderson, the uh, what do you got in the in the future? I got like just a touch more. Tell me what the secret is out there for you.
4: We're still experimenting with a lot of different things, different barrel finishes. It seems like that's one of our fortes right now, and that's where we're kind of leading the pack. We're building a new distillery in downtown Louisville, which will be open sometime next year, which will really give us even more innovative capabilities. We'll be in a much larger facility and uh, the ability to play around with different mash bills and different – we'd like to look at some historic recipes and maybe revive some historic recipes, things like that. So there's there's still a lot of green fields ahead for us right now. You know, we've only been out for four years, and we think we've got a few more tricks in the bag.
1: (laughs) The future is bright. Wes Henderson, thank you so much. It's angelsenvy.com. I appreciate you spending some time with me on Happy Hour Radio. Thanks, Chris. Hey, thanks for joining us on Happy Hour Radio. Uh, Remember, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers.